Good day, everyone. I'm your host, James Hicks from Hicks New Media, and welcome to Perspectives and Focus. You know, we highlight and talk about the people, industries, the ideas, and the technology that are making positive strides within society today. My guest today is Mr. Dan Roth. You know, with an emphasis on narrowing the gender and racial wealth gap, women's empowerment, and neurodiversity awareness, Dan is a disruptor looking to make the world a better place for traditionally marginalized communities. His weekly Job Connection Tuesdays has put job seekers that span levels, roles, and industries in front of over 3 million eyes. He has been recognized as one of the top 25 job search experts to follow on LinkedIn by JobScan and currently ranks number one on the Meller Marketing Rockstar list for non-LinkedIn coaches. He is one of the leaders behind The Collective, which is an incredibly active and engaged group on LinkedIn focused on equity and inclusion-based resources. I am looking forward to today's discussion about diversity. I'm looking forward to the conversation. If you have any questions, please put a cue in front of it, but let's get into it, y'all. There he is right there, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Roth, freshly shaven. I'm liking the low haircut as well, sir. That's a good look for you. How you doing, man? <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. It's it's fun watching or being on this end of yeah. the EPM fam because I'm like. You want to push buttons, don't you? You you, you want to do something kind of production. I've got my stream decks here. I'm looking at your at your lower thirds. I'm yeah. looking at how you're setting things up. I'm thinking, what could I incorporate into my design from from James? And um, I could never be as cool as you. Yes, you but, can. Yeah, but don't worry about that. Come I on now. It. I love it. I love it. Appreciate you for being here. I see some yeah. folks in the building. Mr. Hunt is in the building. Appreciate you, sir, as always. Um, Let's get into this, Dan. I, I really want to yeah. have this conversation and I really want to be cognizant of your time. Let's talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, right? Especially from a professional perspective and from a personal experience perspective. But before we get into that, I do like to have folks kind of tell their origin story. So if, if you don't mind, if you could tell the audience who you are, what is it you do? And first question is really why this particular topic is such a, a passion for you and the things that you go through every single day, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, this is really the first time sort of the ECAM James Hicks network uh, has heard this, but I am ADHD. I found out when I was very young, when I was seven years old, I also have something called language processing disorder, which means that Sometimes I know what I'm trying to say up here, but have trouble broadcasting it out using our terminology. Uh, I was bullied quite a bit. Uh, grew up in a family where my mother was really the tough one and just learned from very powerful women. And that was, that was grossly different. Now my father was still in the picture. He's my best friend in the world, but, um, I grew up around a lot of strong women. And then when I met my wife, everything changed. And, uh, you know, we've 
we just celebrated our sixth anniversary and we have two beautiful twins, but we almost lost my, my wife in um, childbirth. And it's in the microcosm, it, it really what it comes down to is that in the moments when I almost lost my wife, I had to think about, is this world a fair one for my kids to grow up in? And the answer was no. So now I spend every waking hour doing everything in my capacity to change the world even just a little bit so that by the time that they get older, that it's a better place. And you can't do it half-assed. Um, pardon my French. You have to do it from every step. So whether it's being an accomplice within the Black community, whether it's working on pay equity, it all has to come together. That's uh, you know, appreciate you for for sharing that story. And I, I was going to close out today by saying happy anniversary, but you, you beat me to the punch because I know today is the anniversary. So congratulations to you, Saturday. And your, and your okay, Sa yeah, it, it was Saturday, and we wound up going to a a, a princess party. Yeah, for one of my wife's friends. So um, I think anybody that has kids knows that whether it's anniversary or otherwise, you, you know basically it's takeout food is is the Listen, <laughs> they, they, they know me well at panda okay we're not we're not going we're not going to oh, that's go not the too much but yeah that, you that gotta is do true. something better than that i know, it, know in california we don't have good chinese food especially compared to the east coast where i'm from but um that's all right brother hey if you're home don't worry about the dog don't worry about it man <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that's the thing. My uh, my studio is on the first floor, right by the right by the door. My wife was just out um, and just got home. She uh, went to lunch, and we have the shaved ice place. So in case Doc Rock is watching, there, there's this shaved ice place here in San Diego. So she's bringing it home. Like seriously, couldn't you have gone home 15 minutes before yeah. my podcast with James? By the time that my kids get done with that, I'm gonna have nothing left. No worries. No. So let me let me ask you this, man. Again, you, you kind of broke down kind of the, the history and when, when you had your kids and, and, and the story about the, the childbirth and things of that nature. I'm glad everything worked out. But again, that's more of a personal kind of uh, mission, I guess, and passion in life. But from a from a person, from a professional perspective, you seem to continue to want to drive kind of these conversations and make so not just making sure that what's inside the walls of the Roth house. But really, yeah. from from a professional perspective, and as you as you get out there and engage with folks, especially job seekers, because like, I know you were you were in the recruiting world and things of that nature. But how did that translate into you wanting to continue to make sure diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging? I keep adding belonging in there were included for folks that were looking for occupations, looking for a new career, and things of that nature. Why did you continue yeah. that that push? I guess because how else are you going to make those changes from the personal level? if you don't bring it into the professional world. I mean, okay. look, just data-wise, 76% of DEI executives are white, uh, but the ones doing the work, almost 80% are those that are either women or from minority populations. I have a very real, I don't wanna call it obligation because obligation makes it sound like, I feel like I have to do it, uh, but I have a very real opportunity as somebody that is the product of white privilege. And I, I say the product of white privilege because I'm Middle Eastern. 
um, to open doors that wouldn't normally be there. And mm. whether I like it or not, a lot of the things that I was able to get past, I don't know that if somebody came at it that was black or Hispanic or LGBTQIA plus, that they would have had the same that they would have had the same effect. So I'm not trying to be the director. I'm trying to open the door to allow the people that need to be there to make the difference a place to do it. Okay. And I, I applaud that approach. I, I really do, I applaud that approach and I applaud again your transparency in some of these conversations, some of this dialogue that we're having. And it's a very interesting time to have this particular conversation as well with the fact that affirmative action was recently uh, abolished and, and we, we we're now going through those types of conversations. Let, let me, I don't want to pivot. I don't want to deviate too much. Cause I do want to stick kind of in line with what we were talking about and then get into what, what you're doing with the collective and with the DEI playbook. But your Bring thoughts. Out you want. I, what, you, what's that? Throw it at me. Whatever you got on your mind, throw it. Let's do I love it. it, man. I, I appreciate you. So again, with the affirmative action being uh, overturned, how are you approaching having conversations with again, folks that may still come to you as a, as a valuable resource as they are looking to get into the professional workplace, as they are looking to excel within society, because again, you've got a, a thriving community, as I mentioned on LinkedIn, and they're looking at you as that subject matter expert, as that trusted advisor, when it comes to how do I navigate these waters with political th tides changing, right? What, what, what's your uh, statement as, as relates to affirmative action now? So, I want to take a, a little bit of a step back because we get into these cycles where we feel like something new is happening mm. and something new is consistently happening. Um, what I feel the need to call out is that everything is very cyclical. So the things that are happening now aren't necessarily new or not or novel. They've happened before, but social media turns them into something uh, bigger than what they are. Whether we're talking about affirmative action, whether we're talking about critical race theory, whether we're talking about uh, drowned towns, or we're talking about Black Wall Street, there's a fundamental lack of education on what these things are, what they actually mean, what they've actually done. And because of that, that's where you have, that's where you have to take it and say, okay, well, this is the same problem. It's that lack of education. So the first thing I do is we have to educate people on this. And the problem is that the U.S. education system does not teach the true history of America. When they say black history is American history, that's the fundamental truth. Mm -hmm. But we teach a very whitewashed uh, idea, a whitewashed curriculum where even members of the, of the black and Hispanic communities have no idea about three quarters of the things that have actually happened. So we always have to start with education. Now, the hypocrite in me will tell you that I, I have a bit of a different take. I am not your Google. What I mean by that is that I do not believe, a lot of people believe in meeting others where they are. I do not believe it is up to those that have traditionally been oppressed to educate the oppressors on mm -hmm. the oppression. Come on. Okay. So for me, 
it's like, okay, do your homework first. And then once you've done your homework, once you, once you've read uh, post-traumatic slave disorder by Dr. Joy DeGruy, uh, once you've read plantation theory, John Graham Jr. Uh, once you've read all these things, then you're speaking from a place of knowledge. Okay. Well, now we could have a conversation. So the challenge, I guess, let me, let me ask you this. And again, let me ask a probing question. What, what, what's one of the most challenging aspects of having that dialogue and having that conversation? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick in the professional world right now, again, because uh, a lot of my community are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and folks that are either in enterprise business already or, or looking to get into it. The challenge, as you say, and the onus isn't necessarily on the employee or the recruit themselves how are we and what, what are folks in your in your world in the professional realm how are you pushing that education is is a, a valuable asset is a valuable resource is a necessity how, how are you having that conversation within those hr boards within those educational conferences and things of that nature to say again look, look don't let's not look at it from 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 the perspective that we've always been looking at it, but let's look at it from a different perspective. How, how is having those conversations with the folks that are in control of the system happening today? And, so and what is, are the challenges to, to try to get it better? So this is where it gets very depressing. Mm. Um, there should not be a necessity for data to make changes for to what is morally right and ethically right for that matter. However, that's a what logical is statement. You know what, that's a logical statement, but again, we, we know, especially within the society of the United States of America, mm -hmm. we, we have to have the numbers. So I, I, I agree with you we, on that part right there. So we do have to have the numbers. And mm -hmm. the thing with it is, is that a lot of companies don't understand how to, how to create the numbers. And a lot of recruiters are lazy. Um, I've said this before, I've said it again, so it shouldn't come across as a shock to anybody that knows me. So here's the problem. The problem lies in the fact that if you are in DEIB, humanity, whatever you want to call it, uh, the objective is that you can make change in a microcosm. You can make change on a micro level. But how do you actually take that, that micro change and create it with a wholesale? Well, if you're in these positions, then you could probably get your supervisor and maybe your supervisor above. But then it has to go to the leadership above that. So for the first two steps, you have firm control. You create the resource, you, you create the foundation, the infrastructure, if you will. Uh, you talk about the, the statistical benefits of it. You talk about uh, you know, how people can optimize their potential. For example, the average person can only work for 88 minutes before needing a 20 minute break. Uh, this is part of why I don't like the traditional nine to five. Well, this is a data that can be proven. So what we so then we take that and we say, okay, well, this is the data that's backed. We bring that to our leaders. But how do we now get those leaders to react to their leaders? Because once you get past that third, that skip skip, now you're getting into a point where your leaders have their name on the line. So now they don't want you to speak. Mm. They want to speak for themselves using your work. But the thing with that is, is you're basing it off of a foundation where you know what you're doing. They may have different moral and um, 
there might be different reasons for them to do it that don't necessarily align with what you're trying to do. So the staircase to the top tends to be quite broken. And I don't want to sit here and say that I don't think it's possible, but at the same token, when George Floyd was killed and you saw everybody hiring DEI roles, still maintaining that 76% white executive point, and now you see all these roles, including mine, by the way, that were removed. This just tells you that the entire society that the U.S. has been living in was based on this idea where, hey, we may have these trends, but once they get to a point where it's no longer economical for us, we're going to push it down. And they can because no, nobody wants to go past that point and really push and risk. And this is the difference, and this is where my keynotes go into, this is the difference between being an ally and being an accomplice. An ally is somebody that puts their arm on your shoulder and says, hey, I'm here for you. You're gonna be okay. Hmm. And the accomplice is the one that says, okay, well, this is a, this is a problem that's based in the infrastructure at, of oppression. Why does this occur? And then takes a risk whether it's their job, whether it's their personal relationships, and aims to make actual differences in changing those infrastructures to build a better future. The problem is it's a collective effort. It's not just one person. And the roadblocks exist. Mm. So for now, and this is what I'll kind of end on, Right now, we're at a very uh, sensitive point. We're at a very specific crux because we're still seeing the elimination of roles. Once that finalizes and we start to see the overarching view of where corporate wants to take, then we can look at how we can react. Now, I don't like to be reactive. I like to be proactive. So the real ones in this world are trying to identify that way that they could be that stick between two solid blocks. I am trying to get in there and that's why I continue to advocate. That's why I continue to put on events. Um, that's why I continue to be the outspoken Israeli <laughs> on social that, media about I these that. things. I, lo I love that. And I actually, I, I wrote down the quote that, that you something that you said a few weeks ago when we were doing some early planning on this, and you, you mentioned it a little bit just now, it says, I am also eager to get back on stage speaking to audiences about going from passive allies to active accomplice, uh, accomplices, mm -hmm. the inclusion revolution, a path to progress and others. That right there was really how, how I was going to end today's conversation with, but I'm glad you threw that in there. Folks, this is some great conversation. Do not be afraid to, to jump in. You know, you know me, I like to have the uncomfortable conversations that, that we need to have. So feel free to chime in. I know we've got folks over on LinkedIn and on, on YouTube watching. Um, why is corporate America, why, let, let, let's stay just local. Let's stay within the contiguous, you know, in the United States. Why is corporate America so afraid of inclusion, of equity, of diversity, right? When... Again, it's a loaded question because I could answer it myself, but again, I, I want to be 
I want to give you the floor as we have this conversation, as we lead into some of the things about your uh, your forthcoming conference and all. But what what? And you've been in those rooms, right, from a recruiting yeah. perspective, from a human resources perspective. Why is corporate America so hesitant to bring in that that richness of different cultures, of different minds of thought within decision making processes within within uh, corporate America? It's not corporate America. It's the U.S. in general. How okay. else? How else do you? How else do you explain how the top two percent can control the global majority? It was the most intelligent thing that the founding fathers did. They created our society on the idea that we're going to put you in a level of comfort and. We're okay if you get upset, as long as you don't get upset to the point where you start pushing too hard. Because here's the thing, and I'll give you an example. A lot I've done, I've worked with a ton of DEI program managers, and there's a very, very high level of attrition. Why is there a high level of attrition? There's a high level of attrition because these individuals go into this work environment where they're promised that they can make differences, they're promised that they can make changes, and they start doing the work. And then they get blocked every time they get 80% of the way there. So then they're spinning a circle, they're a hamster wheel. And eventually, they quit. They quit. Now, how are we going to create progress within an economic and, and corporate system if the people that are doing the work are quitting? We can't, which is why these systems are created to work them so hard that they would rather quit than stick it out to see real change. There's a reason why there's only one Martin Luther King Jr. There's a reason that there's only one Malcolm X. There's a reason why there's so few, I don't want to say, maybe so few is the wrong word, but why there's so few global icons that are making a difference in this space. We all know what we need to do to fix it. The fixing is common sense. I could tell you exactly how to fix it within the next five minutes, Yeah, but it will never get passed. All right. So, and again, I, I could always come in with the African-American experience, but I'm, I'm really looking to, to stay broad, right? Because again, again, thinking about your community thinking about the collective and thinking about the, the different backgrounds that are, that are involved in that. I, I want to actually broaden this conversation. And I, I really, I do appreciate you talking about, you know, Malcolm and talking about Martin and talking about those types of folks. But again, Thurgood Marshall and yeah, as, as we start the handful of women, the handful of minorities, the the handful of what, whatever race, culture, creed that are in some leadership positions and having access to the information that's coming out of them. I, I just still cannot understand why there is, is such a delay, there is such hesitation, there, there is such uh, hesitation, like I, like I say, of, of having those folks in 
leadership in in roles where they actually have a say, in leadership roles where they where they have uh, control of situations, things of that nature, or, or even just part of a team, right? Why why is there so much again be, being in positions that you work? Come, I'm gonna say your previous employer coming from someone like an Amazon, right? Coming from someone like an Amazon who is a global leader, is white guy with a bald head runs the whole company. What does that structure look like? And and I'm, I'll only ask you because I, I know you're no longer uh, necessarily affiliated with that organization, so I don't necessarily want you to say anything that that's off, yeah. off kilter about that again. But you know, when, when you look at the hierarchy of a corp or organization or corporation like that, where where are the women? Where where are the Native Americans? Where are the the Latinos? Where are those folks? Where obviously where where, where are the African Americans as well in in leadership yeah. positions to well, help drive change within an organization and why did that not happen during your tenure with that organization so it started to let me okay. be very clear that, that okay. it started to uh, i was able to do an immense amount of work and and for those and we'll get to it uh that tune in friday you'll get to meet the people that i worked with directly mm -hmm. that influenced those change but if you want to know why in a microcosm it's fear and entitlement uh fear because there's this thought process that if we let others in, that it takes away from what we have. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was just laughing at Chris Stone for a second. Um, and man, I throw you off kilter right there. I know yeah, that's, you know, that's <laughs> okay. <sorry>. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the entitlement is, is a lot of people believe that it's manifest destiny, that we're the 2%. Um, we get to to define and if we let anybody else in then then it threatens our way of being if we get it from a larger perspective and i'll give you two quick examples one is that this barrier of entry one mm -hmm. of the big things that i talk about is that a lot of jobs require degrees that have nothing to do with the actual role so when this happens the two percent which derivative of white individuals that can actually pay off their college degrees without going into debt Mm. are starting from scratch and starting to build equity automatically. Now you create these barriers of entry and you have people from red line districts. You have people from other areas for minority populations that now have to take out $200,000 worth of loans for a degree that they don't actually need to do their job. Now they're being held to two things. One is a different level. But second, now they're starting $200,000 below the white individual that is starting the same place, but it gets worse because if we take that and we realize that, wait a second, that's $200,000 is only if you consider them white individuals. If we look at black men and women and we talk about the 58 cents to the 68 cents on the dollar, that's actually even further behind. Mm -hmm. So now we have these barriers of entry where you're only getting you know, and I don't know the exact statistics, so please don't quote me, 15% of black men and women in the door, comparatively, they're having to fight for these roles. And what it's also doing is it's creating, uh, it's creating fights and pitting minorities against each other because there's an expectation that if there's two, if there's yeah. one role, they're going to have to pick one or the other. And that's what it comes down to. Now I'll tell you, I said it was simple. 
I was able to run a initiative at my previous employer where very, very simple. I've put, I've posted this publicly, so I have no issue talking about it. There's statistics that show that individuals stay around their college campus for five to 10 years after graduation, because that's primarily where those schools have connections to employers. So if you create an initiative and you source in areas directly around historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, you have a way higher percentage chance of getting black men and women that are fits for those roles. So I took software development engineers. I took all the HBCUs, all 118, not including the one in St. Martin. I created a sourcing structure based on those, sourced them for that one role. And within a month, we had 150 men and women, black men and women going through the interview process. I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about the screening process. I'm talking about the actual interview process. And there is a difference. Good clarity. Yes. Good clarity. Yeah. This is a big deal. Yeah. That was not difficult. That was common sense. But if you look and you ask recruiters, what's the, the number one, and I've done this, the number one reason why you don't recruit for diversity, well, it's not part of my job. Yes, fucking is. Mm -hmm. Part it, of my it, language. It, it, it's, no, it, it's so refreshing. <laughs> and I appreciate Marvin being here. He says uh, they don't want to be locked out like we have been. And it's, it's one thing to have these statements in this conversation coming from me, right? Um, Folks may think that I'm uh, biased or have only one train of thought, but folks who know me know better than that. What's what's really refreshing right now, to be honest with you, and I want to put this out here, this is completely off the cuff. Something coming in from your perspective, who, again, from a professional standpoint, has, again, been in that, that's why I keep harping on, been in that room, been in that conference room, been part of that decision-making process, and coming out with these statements, right? Coming out with these statements that diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging matter at all levels within corporate society, within private industry, and things of that nature. And and to say what literally probably is common sense, very mm -hmm. easy, very easy to implement as well. Changes within methodology, changes within uh, hiring requirements, adding new programs, adding different programs, just bringing in, again, some, some resources, how that can benefit everyone, how that can really just blossom out into uh, goodness for everyone. So I, so I appreciate you for bringing that in. And I apologize. I wanted to interject it and say that. No, because, no, never apologize. It's, it's, it, I'm, I'm apologizing to the community because because they know I, I can go off on a tangent, but I, I want to let, let you say what you got you to say. Uh, <laughs> it happens. And, you know, one of the things I want to point out yeah. And taking this into a lot larger perspective. And I'm, I'm going to pat myself on the back for a second, but it's for a very pointed reason. Everything starts at home. Mm. The way that we actually make changes is by teaching our children, because that's the only way that they're going to learn the true history of America. My children are going to be four years old next month. One of the first books I got them was Michelle Obama. One of the next books I got them is a book called Please Don't Touch My Hair talking mm. about black hair <laughs> um come on now brother that, that's I'm, all right there that's all right yeah, there i'm jewish my wife's catholic we're bringing them up with a knowledge base of all religions we don't have traditional gender roles in our family uh the only thing i don't do is cook because i'm shitty at it you, just can't, um, you can't work it out huh you, you're not good behind the group. no i you know i've my wife laughs because i've cooked bacon and burnt it and left it raw in the no same piece of bacon. No, um, we're going to pray for you. So, but my point <laughs> being is that here's the thing, like even 
even if we did teach the real history of America in school, that means nothing if it's not supported at home. But if I started at home and then they go in and I hear, I want my kids to challenge those teachers. I want my kids to say, hey, this is not accurate. I want my kids to see, uh, if they see somebody getting bullied, to say, no, stop, you're wrong. And here's why. Yeah, folks, hear that. And, and I let that marinate just for a minute because um, me and my wife live that. And a couple of the folks that are in the comments know me, me and my wife. And the fact that so our, our daughter's 21, she's in Los Angeles down at UCLA. Our son's uh, 18, he's in uh, Oregon at Oregon State. And we have that exact same methodology, that, that exact same teaching, right? When they were growing up. You go to school throughout the day, but when you come home at night, when we're sitting around the dinner table, you have school and lesson and instruction with mom and dad as well. Because again, you you want all sides of the conversation. You don't just want to hear the blue and the red. You want to hear the green and the, you, you want to hear every aspect in terms of what's going on so you can be a well-rounded person. The fact that I grew up in a military family, right, I, I had the privilege of getting probably more stamps in my passport before I was 18, then some folks will get in their entire uh, lifetime. So I, I got to see different cultures, different uh, government structures, different uh, ways of living and things like that, and appreciate each of those as well. Those are the things. So I, I wonder if, if that, and again, just, just being high level, just, just really trying to think outside the box. I, I wonder if that's something that should be required amongst folks that are, are in leadership positions, getting out there and seeing how the rest of the planet is doing X, Y, and Z. Not saying that it may be better, but again, just having those experiences about what other folks are doing, what other cultures are doing, what other nationalities are doing, what what other, um, what whatever the case may be, and, and just getting some of that insight, then you won't be so scared of bringing in different thoughts, different actions, different mindsets and things of that nature. You, you said you were starting to get better. Let me, let me let you, you, you look like you wanted to say something. I wanted to go to the next question. Well, it's, just, it's just interesting that you say that because the rest of the world doesn't have the same ideology when it comes to DEI that we do. They're, um, if you look at other countries, so the U.S. is very egocentric. So it's all about me, 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 me. Hmm. Um, the rest of the world when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging is all about what can we collectively do to make a difference. So I think your thought on that would be pretty much impossible to implement, but I love the idea. <laughs> I love the idea. I'm, I'm starting to listen. I'm, I'm 53 years old, but I'm trying to be glass half full now. I'm, I'm right. I, I know it's probably not completely possible, but again, there there's more good days than bad days. Yeah. We, we get inundated with the, the negativity in the news and in social media and, and in the newspaper, wherever the case may be, but when, when you really step back and you think about it, you've been given one more chance each day to get out there and do something. That's a good day. That's a, that's, that's a good day. So, so I'm veering towards positive. I'm not being naive, but I, I do think that there is an opportunity. So here's kind of where I'm going with that. The onus, I wonder if it should really be on us as individuals, regardless of level, especially from a professional perspective. I think the, I wonder if the onus should be on the individual at your tactical level, at your strategic level, again, speaking professionally, to make that workplace better, to 
go out and recruit and talk to other folks of different cultures, nationalities, creeds, and things of that nature to maybe apply for these jobs and then advocate for them. I don't like the word influence, but I like the word advocate. And I like your, I like your statement of active accomplice. I'm not going to steal it, but I like that. I, if I end up putting that on a shirt one of these days, I'll, I'll send you a finder's fee. Oh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, that on works. this? Um, I'm going to disagree with you, and I don't like the idea of disagreeing with you, Mr. Hicks. Uh, I don't think that the onus is on the individual. I, I, the problem is when you create, in, when when you have a, a million different individual ideals and a hundred and a hundred different individual uh, reasons for doing things, then it's going to create uh, it's going to create a, a, a scat pattern. Instead, I believe that if Here's, the, here's how I'm going to put this. If it was a group of individuals that created this country to be oppressive, then it needs to be a group of individuals that needs to get together to correct that oppression. And when we do that, that includes reparations, by the way. That includes uh, redoing our education system from the perspective of what the curriculum actually is it, it has a lot of things to do i think when you say it's up to the individual i know that you may not necessarily be saying what i'm about to say but it's not up to the black individual it's not up to the hispanic individual it's not up to the indigenous it's not up to the lgbtqia in my personal opinion it has to be done by the people that are least likely to do it in support and in collaboration with what i mean is i believe the onus is on white individuals to say wait a second what we have done is not right we are not being threatened if we make these corrective changes let's do something about it because the reality is white changes white we need to decolonize and push it. I respectfully accept that disagreement with what I stated there. And I, I like your explanation. The challenge with that, well, the, the opportunity with that is white folks are never going to do right when it comes to this particular conversation. That's right? why so, I don't sleep. Okay. Team no sleep right here. So, but you see what I'm saying though, right? It, it, yeah. It's, it's part of the, it's part of the ingrained fabric of this country for one, that slavery, oppression, that uh, marginalized citizens, that uh, all, all of those adjectives, right? It's just part, it's part of the country. It's part of the constitution. It's part of the declaration. It, it, it is what this country is, is, is built off of. I wonder if, again, some onus, responsibility, instead of waiting, here's where I'm going with this, instead of waiting for white folks to, to, to do right, mm, couldn't, and again, this, this is just a, a question that I'm asking to, to throw out there and, and to rub salt in the wounds just, and really to have some dialogue and have some engagement. I know yeah. how I feel, but again, I want to hear your perspective as well. Instead of, of us waiting for white folks to get it right and do right, and maybe issue those reparations and or different types of things as well for different different cultures. Couldn't 
those communities go out and rebuild their own Black Wall Street? Couldn't those communities go out and and build support systems around themselves? Not not necessarily trying to segregate and segment, but I'm more into uplifting oneself first and then working on uplifting others around. I'm I'm more into I'm into taking care of family. And you can take whatever definition you want of that to, to be, but I'm into taking care of family first and then going out there and put that den in the in the uh in the universe. So my question back to you is don't you think that's just exacerbating the problem? Could be. And the reason but there I needs say, to be action, but, but, but from my perspective, again, I think action needs to happen from somebody's side of, of the fence. And, I, I agree with you, but mm. this is where the challenge is. This is why it's not an easy solution. Yeah. It, the U.S. was founded on segregation, whether you're talking about the Jews that were brought over during World War II and placed in certain areas in, in Brooklyn and the Bronx and all that, whether you're talking about uh, the Irish, whether you're talking about the red line, and whether you're talking about whatever else it's the segregation that has kept people separate and created natural uh, adversaries and i honor what you're saying in the respect that well if things are bad then can't we just create our own again can't we just build it up can't we just really focus on, on what we do to get as high as we can but at some point at some point for true equality to be there, there needs to be an intersection of those two things. Now, will we ever get there? You go with glass half full. I used to be that way. Mm. I think I am deluded by the fact that I am part of the segment of the population that's gotten lost within this removal of DEI even though I keep on fighting for it. Uh, so I veer towards possibly. Um, but this is also why I have a huge issue and I'm very diligent about what speaking opportunities I take because I don't believe in trauma porn. If I'm going into a conversation, if I'm going into an environment, I want to be talking about the people that need to make the difference. I had an opportunity to be the final, uh, to be the closing speaker, closing keynote speaker in an event a couple months ago. And in the audience was probably about 80% white. And then we had a couple of individuals like Dr. Uh, Carol Parker Walsh, who if you don't know, she's absolutely phenomenal. Mm. And that was in the audience. Those are the rooms I aim to speak in because those are the people that need to understand and hear that things need to change. Now, if they're already against this change, how do we actually make that happen? Well, it comes down to emotional connection. The inclusion revolution is based off of my philosophy that if I tell three stories, three very personal stories, three very emotionally torching stories of exclusion and make them different enough, then somebody's going to be able to relate to each one of them. And once you have that emotional connection, you're gonna be more inclined to start looking at yourself and what you could do to change. Now, I'm not trying to 
to uh, break bricks over people's heads here. I'm not trying to be underhanded with my approach, but the only way that we're going to get there is by creating that emotional connection to what is going on and saying, Hey, this could have been you. Mm -hmm. Here you go. And then it's like, I like that. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Okay. I, I like that. And I, I appreciate the dialogue and I appreciate that, that, that background story as well. And again, I, I was really just, I was coming out of right field on that one. I, 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 Cause I, I wanted to just have that conversation in terms of what if, right. Yeah. And, and if there is a possibility, do, do I agree or do, or do I think that um, the change is going to happen out there? I, I, in my life, I'm, I'm not sure as well, but uh, we, we've seen fits and spurts and we've seen some regression right? Three steps back, one step, uh, three steps forward, one step back kind of thing. So we, we've seen that happen, but, um, the conversation needs to continue to happen. Yeah. And again, this, this is one of those, this is one of those awkward conversations again, that has to happen with a collective of people, a, a mixture of people. I'm using the word collective specifically, because again, that's the, that's the name of your phenomenal group there. So let, you know, let, let me bring that up here. Uh, I, I know it's a, a closed group. And I know you're just having that conversation within, within the community recently, but folks, I will put a link to the collective, the collective inequity and inclusion based resource community that uh, Dan runs. It's, it's on LinkedIn. Thousands of people on there, again, very engaging, very active, very, very uh, interesting types of conversations that are happening within that group. So let's talk now. I've shown that. Let's talk about the next steps because my next question was going to be how to make initiatives sustainable, long lasting, and what's the what, what can we be doing in the future, in the short, in the mid, in the long term? And I'm kind of leaning towards the DEI. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind. So you mentioned a keyword in my vocabulary. Mm. That keyword is sustainability. Uh, I am very firmly entrenched in the idea of, of uh, dumbifying things down for the white audience. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know I may get some flack for saying dumbifying for the white audience, deal with it. Uh, and what I mean by that is every step of the way, every program I created, I'm taking screenshots, I'm capturing every single bit because there cannot be any excuse for somebody not to continue it once I'm gone. So every breakdown I have is all built. When I'm thinking about things, it's got to be three, six, 12, three year, five year. It's always going to have that long term. And I always have to think ahead of the curve. Well, what's next? So I called it when we saw the downturn of the current economy. I purposely created things to, to fix that, to make sure that these things carried on. I just put out a, a six-part newsletter on my DEI playbook, which is the which is the title of the event that I'm doing on Friday. Oh God, this is my you know this is my one break from doing work on that. I'm like seriously, it's been. Hopefully, this is a good break. Hopefully, this is a good break. Oh, it's a great break. Okay. But like, okay. and, and be, being being completely honest, I can't do any more of these large-scale events if I don't start getting sponsorship because the amount of work that goes into it. I'm too meticulous with how I do things. So every little detail, and then you have to make sure that the people that you're bringing on see your vision and mm. are willing to do the work because I'm a strategist at heart. 
Like there's a reason I don't do weekly podcasts. I do events. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you brought up sustainability. So the reason I created that particular group is because I was doing a post um, on LinkedIn for two years that you mentioned in the beginning. And I created it when I was unemployed. I was almost one of the first people to bring together uh, job seekers and recruiters in the same post. And I tested it. I measured it. I tried every little thing I could. Eventually, it started averaging 100,000 views and about 1,000 to 1,500 comments every week. I used it. I scanned through it. I created a database of job seekers that I would give to different recruiters in the field. It got so big that people were like, if I don't get on exactly when it starts, then I'm going to be lost. So then I created this group. But if I was going to create the group, my thought was, okay, well, I have to create a safe space. I have to create a space that people aren't going to get taken advantage of. I have to create a space where nobody's going to be soliciting without my approval. I'm going to vet every single person that goes to, uh, that wants to provide their services. And because of that, and mind you, I'm over 12,000 people. This is not a small group. I personally look through every single person that goes to come in. If somebody ha- if somebody solicits and I don't know who that person is, then they're automatically removed from the group. I don't even go to talk to the person. I do not play games when it comes to people's safety. Mm. And I think safety is what we really have to keep at the forefront of all these discussions. I remember how many conversations have I had with, with black friends that have said that they have to have conversations before they go out the door, just in, just in case, just in case. Yeah. I yeah. want to remove the just in case. This is my way of removing the just in case. To an extent. Uh, yes. I, I, I appreciate that, that valor, but again, yeah, every. Well, it's not going to be a hundred percent. I mean, right, I right. No you know, every, that. especially black father, every black parent has had that conversation. And yeah. uh, I see my dad here in the conversation. I see, you know, I, I see Marvin here. I know David Hines here as well. So we've had that oh, conversation that. again, uh, talking about, yeah, that, 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 that's senior right there. So the, the show was officially started there when, when, when you see the hello right there. From the, <laughs> but again, so we, we've had that conversation with, with our kids about again, going out and being cognizant, being aware of things that need to hands on the steering wheel if you're getting, so right i mean that's real and you appreciating and acknowledging the reality in that is comforting right and and reason i say that again because again i'll, I'll keep going back to what i what i've said before you're in those rooms you're in those meetings you're in those sessions you're having these events and you're 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 influencing, you're advocating into the people that should be making the right decisions. And by bringing in that diaspora of a conversation, that leaves hope. That, that, that leaves hope for, for an, an inkling of change instead of three steps forward, one step back, maybe three steps forward and half a step back, right? We, we, we might get somewhere sooner than later later than sooner, whatever the case may be. But um, here's the the thing, James, I'm not the white savior. And I'm very careful of that. I say that because I'm not trying to be one. What I believe in is in promoting people that I see as brilliant. Fulgens Henry, a friend of ours, perfect example. Him and Anna are the reason that I am on Ecamm along with Gabriel. Fulgens, most people don't, most people know from ENN Live and they know from Building Blocks, which by the way, I'll be on tomorrow. 
Um, Fulgence has 12 years in nonprofit work with the Haitian community. Mm-hmm. Fulgence is stupid brilliant, but he hasn't had the opportunity to voice these things. Now, beforehand, like I bring in, when I get projects, I bring in Fulgence and Anna and say, hey, could you can collaborate with me because they're better than me in certain areas. So when I get requests, but in this circumstance, he's not necessarily comfortable being on the panel, but I also know that he has aspirations and he has a lot to provide. So if I could put him up there and I could show him and say, hey, I'm going to highlight you. You're going to be in a safe place. Don't worry. Now more mm. people get to see his brilliance. More people get to see, yeah. you know, Lori Thibodeau or Ishan Peterson or Heidi Barker or Sharita Washington right there. And I'm going to say this, and she's the president of Amazon's Black ERG. These are all people that have voices. Let me you know, let me let me I let me say one thing it. because again, a lot of folks may not be in enterprise yeah. technology and know what some of our three-letter acronyms mean: ERG, Employee Resource Group. So. <laughs> yeah, like so for for these types of things, like I've already put out the six-part newsletter. I'm hosting the event. But people already know my voice in this. My job is to elevate them. Mm. So when you see the layout on Friday, every single one of them is going to have a layout on the screen where they're the large, where they're in the large capacity overlay and everybody else is up. And there's two reasons for that. One is so that people get to see them up close, but two, we work with Opus Clips. Opus Clips is one of my sponsors. So now I get to take Opus Clips. I get to run through. Now these individuals, by being on this, get micro content that they could then use going forward. We have to elevate the people around us, not because it's our job, not because we get paid to do it, because it's the right stinking thing to do and they deserve it. That's fantastic. Um... This is one of those conversations like David had, you know, I wish we didn't have to have this conversation, but like pushing pixel says that talk is a prerequisite. These are the things that we we have to converse about. Loving the fact that you, you, I'm loving the fact that you are so diligent. Let me, let me, let me do this. Right. I'm, I'm loving the fact that you are so diligent and, and focused on the why of this message, right? It, it, it's, it's not, it's not a personal gain thing. I, I don't know. Right. But, but it, it's more of a, as, as you just said right now, it's the right thing to do. And if more folks really grab hold of that and realize that we, as a, as a culture, as a society, as a country, as a company, as a people would be better if we had a diversity if we had the equity, if we had the inclusion and we had the belonging, I'll keep adding belonging there. If you want to change the, t- the title of your, of your event tomorrow or this week and have belonging there, I won't, I won't, I won't give you a hard time. <laughs> but um, right, yeah, funny I, I, perspective. I, I, I don't, don't pay attention to me, man. But I, again, I'm saying all that again, is that the, these again are, are the reasons why we do succeed in life. These are, these are the reasons why we do get to meet people like, like you and like the other folks within the community and, and, you, and you start making those collaborations, you start working with 
uh, ECAM folks, you start working with the Opus folks, you start working with whomever. Well, and you start building branches, you start networking, you start building more of a community and folks start seeing the different shades within those different communities and seeing how, how effective we can all work together. I think that resonates almost as much as, as, as the conversation, but by seeing us all sitting at that table and collaborating, working together, networking, building something positive, that almost is as loud. That that's the picture that's worth a thousand words. So I'll, I'll just say kudos to you on that. You know, I'm going to be in the audience. You, you, you know, I'm going to be watching and listening and, and doing all the things as well and talking about, about it as much I, as I can. I do. And, and the th I want to mention that and I appreciate you calling out the detail because I don't bypass any detail. Like for instance, I've worked in over 35 countries. When I do this, it's going to be for a U.S. audience, but I'm also going to do live replays for the U.K., New Zealand, and India. And the specific reason for that is because I know that these are countries that are having the same sort of issues. That These are countries that the people look to me. So by doing that, it's giving them an opportunity to have a real life experience with it where they don't have to watch a replay. They get to actually be there and respond. Now, I do want to, Marvin, I want to respond to you. This isn't about hope. I want to be very careful. It's not about hope. I am grounded in reality. I am deeply, deeply, deeply grounded in reality. My hope is that if I bring my kids up right and they have kids, then I created two who then created two or four more. And then we reverse the idiocracy. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you remember that movie and we start building families that have better philosophies on these things. So it's, it's, again, it's, it's not about hope. It's about what can we do? What can we functionally do? What kind of education can we functionally provide, whether it's corporate, whether it's a home or otherwise that we could then use and carry on. So I appreciate the comment. I'm always going to, go back and forth with people and we could have a, a more of a side conversation but um hope is a dangerous word in this business um and as far as the belonging thing it goes it, you know this is another conversation because there's a large continuum of black community that that believes that dei is anti-black so what do we call it because dei was really you know the term's been around but it's been since george floyd that it started really getting pushed. So what do mm -hmm. we actually call it? And, and, mm -hmm. you know, humanity work seems to be the next, uh, intrinsic progression, which I love. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could call it whatever you want at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's called being human. I love that. Listen, and, and your statements and your response and your addressing the comments shows as well, the, the content of your character. It, it shows the fact that you you do sit and meditate on on this topic, on these topics, on these situations. And this is not just something, again, that you, you snap your fingers, blink your eye and say, I, I want to put a, a conference or event together speaking on X, Y and Z types of topics. So appreciate that. Marvin's responded back and says he loves that as well. Dan, I tell you what, tell folks where they can find you. Tell Talk a little bit about the uh, the playbook that's happening uh, this week as well. I already put the link up, and I'm going to put it in the description as well. But let's 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 hear about Dan Roth, if you don't mind. So 
tomorrow I'm going to be on building blocks with that with Anna and Fulgens on the Ecamm network. I'm going to be showing people how I create some of these video packages for utilizing Canva, but I'm also going to be premiering the intro of th that's going to be for the DEI playbook, which is Friday at 10:30 a.m. Pacific, 1:30 Eastern. Um, the playbook I've touched on it, but basically what's going to be happening is I put together a panel of experts and we're going to be going on and talking about DEI and corporate, what could be done, if anything could be done. And we're really going to be having an in-depth conversation. We have people there. One of, uh, one of the people that's going to be there is from the only company in the United States that's certified to provide diversity to belonging certification. Uh, we have the president of Amazon's ERG. We have and award-winning individuals. Um, something that you don't know, James, is that I also just booked another engagement that's going to be on the 7th and 8th, and it's it's going to be... A, um, I'm going to be speaking at, a, at an event as part of a panel about domestic violence. Uh, I was a victim of domestic violence when I was 18 in my first real relationship. Uh, a lot of men don't talk about this, and it's my job to normalize these conversations, uh, even though it's very difficult for me. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing that. Um, you could find me on LinkedIn. You could find me on um, threads. You could find me on Instagram. I do not use TikTok. I hate Twitter. Uh, I really hate Elon Musk. Uh, so those are the places, but LinkedIn primarily, if you want to join the group, you could join the group. Uh, and I'm sure James and I will be having further conversations in regards to this. Feel free to reach out to me. Um, the only other thing I'll say, because I know the platform you use and I know the people you're connected to, is if you want me to put on more of these events, and I've put on over 30, uh, I can't do it without sponsorship because I've just gone to the point where I'm a one-man band and it's exhausting. So if you're interested in, in, in sponsoring an event or having me work with one of yours, let me know. And, I'm right there for it. And please, please, please subscribe to James' channel. Check out his store. Um, I've heard that he's now going to be uh, sponsored by Rogaine. Um, make sure oh, my God. There we see. There we go. This man got jokes. Okay. See? Dan Roth, you're a good man. So Solo. That's what you're talking about. So, no, see, now you're flashing back now. You know, only some of us old cats will remember that. Uh, you're a good dude, man. You're, 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 you're on a, on a battle that many of us are on as well. You, you, you're fighting a valiant fight and, and you're doing things that if they may not seem like they're being recognized in the short term, they are being recognized in the long term. And actually you're rising above the noise. So you're doing good work and we appreciate you for that. Uh, I will be there in support i will be there in every kind of way waving all the banners that i can for this event that you got coming up i wish you could have, you know you could have dropped that um opening here we, we could have had some exclusive content here on perspectives and focus but i i, I understand i i understand you want you want to save that for, for tomorrow but i i'm not going to yeah, give you time for that i, you know, I have to fulgens is going to be on the show him and Anna. i basically have it's all right it's all right in my support structure it's so all right no um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be fun it's, it's all right fun. and and again I, I will actually put a link in the description to that uh show as well for for tomorrow man uh thank thank you very much dan again this, this is real good all, all seriousness man continue doing the do the good work 
continue with that due diligence. And if anything that I can do in terms of support, man, definitely let me know. Right. Likewise. And by the way, for anybody that's listening um, and you didn't happen to see the show this weekend, James, along with some incredible people are going to be putting together their own group for the black community. Um, please make sure you're checking out. I've never seen James do something that wasn't the highest quality work and creating a safe place. And I'll be there to support in any way I can. Got nothing else to say, man. I appreciate you, brother. Be good to yourself. And again, hey, happy anniversary, man. Thank you. I appreciate it.